Welcome back to episode number 157 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Coloni. In today's episode, we're talking about four common challenges in the application of NFPA 652. Those of you that will be listening over the last couple episodes will know this is part of a presentation that I gave at the NFPA 125th Anniversary Conference Series. This year, their 125th year, this is a year-long conference series. In October, they did a full-day series on keeping hazardous environments safe, um, where they invited me to speak on combustible dust. So there's a couple pieces of this. They wanted the compliance, the introduction of combustible dust, but also what are the challenges and questions that people often have when I pay 652. So we covered the five common questions in the last two episodes. What is the problem we're trying to solve? What is NFPA 652? Does it apply to me? What does the DHA process look like? Who is a qualified person? We addressed those in the last two podcast episodes. We're going to move now into four common challenges that we see in the application of NFPA 652. So these are challenges that we've seen sort of routinely now since running the Dust Safety Professionals platform going on you know, six or nine months now that come in when people are making requests for dust testing or for hazard analysis to be completed or to support their, their facility, their site. What sort of questions do they have about NFPA 652? What are some of these common challenges or what are some of the solutions? So in this episode, we're going to talk through what is the first step overall in NFPA 652? What is the scope of a DHA, of a dust hazard analysis? How do you hire a DHA consultant and how do you complete a DHA yourself? These four common challenges are going to build on some of the concepts that we talked about in the last two podcast episodes. So if you're listening to this podcast episode for the first time, the the first Dust Safety Science podcast you listen to, it's probably best to go back two episodes, listen to the last two, and then this, this episode will build on some of the things we talked about in those two previous episodes. If you're interested in getting support for your facility handling combustible dust, whether or not that be dust collector design, specific equipment, um, an OEM to work with, a prevention or protection equipment manufacturer to work with, or testing or dust hazard analysis, you can go to Dust safetyprofessionals.com or you just Google Dust Safety Professionals. Um, we should come up there and you make a request. We'll be able to get you going with that project in just a couple of days. Um, we have member companies around the world to support you in combustible dust safety. So let's talk about these four challenges. So challenge number one, what is the first step of NFPA 652? So you're working in a facility or you work with a facility and a fire marshal has come in or your boss and said, you know, what's this thing about combustible dust? does this apply to us? Or maybe an engineer on your team has listened to this podcast. They've listened to some of the training that we've done inside the Dust Safety Academy, or they went to a conference or an event like the NFPA um, 125th anniversary conference and realized that, hey, this might be a challenge at our facility. Now they're asking you as sort of the health and safety manager, the plant manager, you know, what, what do we do? What's the, the next step? Does NFPA 652 apply to me? So the first step in terms of combustible dust then is generally going to be hazard identification. So that's chapter five of NFPA 652. And you're really trying to evaluate here, do we have a potential combustible dust? Do we know the combustibility and explosibility of that material? And if not, then we need to go and figure that out. So the first step is generally going to be a go, no-go screening test, unless you can already rule in and say, hey, yeah, we do have a combustible dust here. We, we know that from historical data. We know that because we're having fires and explosions. These are all different ways that you might already know they have a combustible dust. But generally, first step is going to be to perform a go-no-go test. Um, we've had a, a number of cases where people have made requests like this through Dust Safety Professionals, 
we're able to connect them pretty quickly with a laboratory to do that go no go screening test and understand whether or not they need to go down the road of complying with NFPA 652 doing a dust hazard analysis. So section 5.4.3.1 of 652 says that where the explosibility is not known, determination of explosion of explosibility dust shall be determined according to one of the following tests. The go-no-go screening testing methodology described in ASTM E1226, the standard test method for explosibility dust clouds, or two, ASTM E121515, standard test method for minimum explosible concentration of combustible dust. Or three, option three is an equivalent test methodology. So a big question that comes in here is, well, what material do I use? And for the go-no-go screening test, you want to use a material that's representative of the worst case conditions at your facility. This is generally going to be maybe in your dust collection system where you have the smallest particle size and the driest material. Or if you have fugitive dust at your facility, which is something that's going to be evaluated as a hazard in a DHA, but that that dust is often the, the best dust to test, especially if it's wafted up and it's sitting on top of light fixtures or um, you know I-beams, that sort of thing. That's really material you're going to you want to look at. That'd be your worst case scenario for the go-no-go testing. Chances are that's going to come back explosible. But where you're trying to figure out this step is you really want to avoid a false negative. If you use material from another part of your facility where the dust isn't as dry or small particle size, it can come back as a no-go, which I guess might be good because you may determine that 652 doesn't apply, but you're inappropriately determining. It's a false negative. When you have an explosion happen at your facility, you're not really going to be able to point back and say, well, you know, the go-no-go screening failed. Uh, or produce a negative result, it's because you didn't do the proper sampling. So when you're doing this go-no-go screening, you want to really take the sample from the worst-case scenario at your facility. The kind of second point here that I want to talk about is, okay, so we've done the the go-no-go, we've determined that is a combustible dust hazard. So the next step is around this, okay, further testing for your materials. You can do this sort of in one shot. So we talked last week the DHA example that I ran through where we tested the dust from the dust collector, determined it was explosible. So then we determined it's Pmax and KST, use this to design explosion venting on the dust collector, and also use these parameters throughout the rest of the facility as the worst case scenario. That's sort of one way to go. So you can determine your explosion parameters from that same sort of area that you're sampling from, your worst case conditions, determine things like the maximum pressure, Pmax, the maximum rate of pressurize, that's KST, in barometer per second, the minimum explosible concentration, the limiting oxygen concentration, the M minimum ignition energy, and the minimum ignition temperature, all design parameters you can figure out about your, your dust from those worst case samples. But in a lot of cases, it's actually better to couple your testing program with your DHA methodology while you're doing DHA. So we have a couple of really great presentations on this inside the Dust Safety Academy, one called Combustible Dust Test Planning, Start with the End Game in Mind, with Michelle Murphy of MICA. She's based just outside of Boston. We had another great presentation by interpreting, called Interpreting Your Combustible Dust Lab Report with Dr. Shok Dasadar of Fauskin Associates based just outside of Chicago. Those are available inside the Dust Safety Academy. The general kind of point there is you, you can do the case where you use worst case conditions, but in a lot of cases, your material and your equipment that's upstream from those worst case conditions maybe aren't exposed as exposed or maybe they have different ignition sensitivity requirements than elsewhere in your facility. So I really like this presentation by by Michelle from MICA 
on this combustible dust test planning, start with the end game in mind. It's really about, okay, well, how do we couple our testing program, our test planning, our sampling methodology with the DHA as we're walking through and doing that? That can really help reduce maybe the how conservative the prevention and protection techniques are, but also give you a much better idea about where the hazards are at your facility. So example of this last week is we were able to remove the first brake mill from needing explosion protection because we did go-no-go screening in that specific piece of equipment. And also we looked at, okay, well, do we need to design explosion protection, say in the sifter and in the attrition mill using the same explosion parameters as the dust collector? In this case we did because we're feeding in fines into that whole system because it was an enclosed circular system. But in other cases where you're going sort of start to finish, you may find that there's savings to be had by retesting that material at different stages of the process. So that kind of gives you an idea of where we start. Go, no, go screening, how you might start to get down the path of doing testing for your dust hazard analysis. You also want to pay attention to fire and combustibility hazards. A lot of time you're kind of, kind of know that you don't need screening for your fire hazards because you know that material is a fire hazard. It's organic or wood or metal or any potentially combustible dust is generally a fire hazard. But you may want to do combustibility testing to understand when it's going to be a fire hazard. And, and NFA 652 actually requires this. So hot surfaces around, if you have hot bearings, um, you want to know even dryers or attrition mills and that sort of thing. You want to know under what conditions is smoldering or firing going to be ignited. And there's specific combustibility testing you can do to figure that out. So those are some of the considerations around, you know, what do I do first? Again, the first step is generally going to be go, no, go screening. And you want to use the worst case scenario at your facility. If you don't know what that is or you have, you know, questions, you can always go to dust safety professionals enter request there and we'll get somebody to come out and look at your facility and help you make that determination to get the right answer from your sampling program and your testing program so you have the right answers to move into your dust hazard analysis requirements. So that's the first challenge. The second challenge, and this is one that I talked about quite a bit in the previous episodes, is what is the scope of a DHA, of a dust hazard analysis? We're going to sort of dive deep into this because there's a lot of confusion around it and I don't actually pretend to know the full answer. So this is not you know, this is my interpretation of what the 652 says and also what we see in practice being done on a, on a regular basis. So just keep that in mind. This is just a, another interpretation of the many out there. If you ask another consultant, they may something say something quite different. They're probably going to say the requirements are exactly what they're going to give you in their DHA. But this is just my two cents for what that's worth. So section 4.2.4 in NFPA 652, and this is the compliance section, says that the objectives of section 4.2, which is the compliance section, shall be determined to be have met by implementing either of the following. A prescriptive approach in accordance with chapters 5, 7, 9, and 8, in conjunction with any prescriptive provisions of application commodity-specific commodity NFPA standards. So we know what NFPA, or we know what chapter 5 requires now, this is the hazard identification, and we also know about chapter 7, this is your dust hazard analysis. What about these other two chapters? And it's kind of funny that they put them backwards, chapters 9 and 8. I think that's because they switched the chapters in the next, next edition of, of um, NFP 652. But, but let's talk about that. So chapter 7, we know this one. DHA shall evaluate the fire, deflagration, and explosion hazards and provide recommendations to manage those hazards. So that makes sense. You know, you need to evaluate the hazards, provide recommendations. We talked about this a lot last week as being sort of the basic DHA, the minimum amount that's required, and hopefully you caught all the hazards and hopefully the recommendations are good um, and you'd sort of meet the basic requirements. What about these other chapters, nine and eight? So let's talk first about chapter nine. 
As the owner and operator, you're required, if you're following a prescriptor approach, to meet Chapter 9. That's, you know, what we just said in Statement 4.2.4. That chapter includes requirements around hazard management, including mitigation and prevention techniques. It talks about building design, equipment design, ignition source control, dust control, explosion prevention protection, and fire protection. It's really the how-to. So 652 provides the what-to-do framework. And the how-to framework then points out to the, through Chapter 9, through the commodity-specific standards and the how-to standards like NFPA 68 and 69 and, and the other ones as well. But there's an interesting aspect in 652 where there's a flowchart up front that says, you know, what are the steps you need to do to follow this standard? And in that flowchart, it says, has a dust hazard analysis been performed? No. If no, then you refer to Method 7 or Methods in Chapter 7, Dust Hazard Analysis. If yes, then... The next question is, has a plan been developed to manage the hazards? And if a plan has not been developed, then you need to refer to the methods in Chapter 6, Performance-Based Design, and Chapter 9, Hazard Management, Mitigation, and Prevention. So it's sort of saying, okay, well, the DHA has now been done. Do you have a plan to manage the hazards? Do you have an implementation plan in place? If not, as an owner-operator, you need to have that in order to meet the requirements of NFPA 652. So this sort of flowchart suggests that this implementation plan is outside the scope of a dust hazard analysis that if you read it one way like the minimum the minimum interpretation is that the DHA only evaluates the hazards and provides recommendations to manage them but doesn't include the implementation plan on the other side the other interpretation is that a DHA because the statement in section 7.2.1 says in accordance with section 4.2 and section 4.2 points to chapter 9 is that you do need that implementation plan to be included and in place as part of a DHA. So there's sort of two extremes here. Mostly consultants or people that are providing DHAs fall somewhere in the middle. It's, it's pretty rare not to see some sort of implementation plan given today. I'd say including some sort of risk ranking on the hazards that were evaluated and the recommendations is becoming more and more the norm, uh, at least with the companies that we're working with, with dust safety professionals. Um, seems like it's much more common. Regardless, it is the owner and operator's ultimate responsibility for both. They need to have the DHA completed, and they also need the implementation plan. In a lot of cases, the pricing between DHAs will fall down to a low-end provider um, not giving any implementation plan, and a higher-end provider, higher-price provider, giving an implementation plan and support over some period of time on that implementation plan. Maybe it's three months support as that plan gets rolled out. Uh, maybe it's six months or maybe it's a month. Um, but some sort of support while they're doing that. So that's that's the one aspect of the scope for a DHA, the implementation plan. The second is this Chapter 8 piece. And chapter 8 covers management systems, and there's a, quite a number of them. So there's 15 sections in Chapter 8. Two of them are not managed systems, retroactivity in general. That would mean that 13 of them are management systems. So operating procedures and practices, housekeeping, hot work, PPE, inspection, testing, and maintenance, training and awareness, contractors, emergency planning, incident investigation, management change, document retention, management system review, and employee participation. So all of these need to be met, again, using a prescriptor approach by the owner and operator of the facility, but are they included in the dust hazard analysis? And to what degree are they included in dust hazard analysis? Is someone going and actually auditing all 13 of these programs you know, sampling employees to make sure they know where to find the documentation that's being used and followed and providing recommendations on each of the 13 
management systems on improvements to come up to the prescriptive requirements. I haven't seen that in a, in a DHA. It'd be quite comprehensive. Um, I would say that would be not common, but it's common for a couple of these to be included. And really, it generally falls back to the experience of the folks that are providing that dust hazard analysis for you. Some are going to be very experienced on emergency planning response and include that. Others are going to be very experienced on housekeeping and you know industrial hygiene aspects of facility management. Others may require training and hazard awareness be implemented, and others may you know audit your hot work program. <clears throat> so this is where the different scopes come in for a dust hazard analysis. Is there an implementation plan and what kind of management systems are being included in there? And there's also some other ones that come in quite a bit, like hazard area classification or validating your explosion protection design documentation. Okay, you have vents. Are they going to work sufficiently to avoid deformation of that vessel or destruction of that vessel or venting so that it doesn't um, you know, vent back into the facility? These are all things that might come up. And what you'll see in a kind of, you know, the range that you'll see is that the some of the DHAs may say, okay, well, I guess it falls down to what the recommendation is going to be. So the recommendation may be it's recommended that you have a written housekeeping program. While others may actually go through and audit your housekeeping program, verify they have a, a housekeeping program, and that's being effective. Similarly, a recommendation might be, well, you need to perform a hazard area classification where other providers might actually do the hazard area classification, include that in their baseline dust hazard, anal- hazard analysis reports. In practice, again, most providers are going to be somewhere in the middle on this. The bare minimum is to evaluate the hazards and provide recommendations. Hopefully they capture all the hazards and hopefully they're good recommendations. That would be a a very nice minimum to have. Other than that, risk ranking and and implementation plan is becoming more the norm, at least with dust safety professional providers. Having some sort of support period for the implementation plan is also getting more and more common. Um, And then providing some sort of management systems or other analysis is also pretty common but it's across the board on what's provided. It can be different management systems, administrative controls, um, hazard area, electrical area classification, housekeeping plans, explosion protection design documents. It really differs depending on the provider and what they consider to be most important for your facility. So when you're getting you know, a quote for a DHA and you, you may have a low price, price quote, say less than $5,000, you know, you're probably only getting the evaluation of the hazards and the recommendations. They may be likely to miss some at that price point, and you know the recommendations might not be very good or very helpful. Where a higher price point, say seven to eight thousand dollars, might start to get you an implementation plan and a support period. Higher price still, they might be looking at okay, well, how do we develop employee training for you? How do we audit your housekeeping program? And they might start looking at what management systems are most important for you right now at your facility. Again, I'll I'll say this one last time. Either way, six fifty two requires the owner and operator that they are responsible for all of these activities. Um, it's just a question of how many are being done as part of your DHA project, how many are being left for the owner and operator to complete afterwards at the end of the day. And that's really where you're getting into your scope and your different pricing for a dust hazard analysis. So that's this challenge number two, and it's a big one. What is the scope of the DHA? And you really want to agree on this before you start the project, usually in the um, you know quote receiving stage, so you have an idea what's going to be included in this DHA and what's going to be left to you as the owner and operator or facility manager to do it afterwards once the DHA is completed. So we're going to move into the next two challenges. These are how to hire a DHA consultant and how to complete a DHA yourself. We talked about this a bit last week, but you know the, the approach we use at Dust Safety Professionals is three core components of a qualified person. This is our interpretation. This is not NFPA's requirements. 
Um, it's our interpretation of NFPA's requirements. Other companies, other folks are going to have different interpretations. But the three core components are broad knowledge and understanding of combustible dust hazards, specific understanding of the industry processes and systems under review, and demonstrable experience performing DHAs and or leading DHAs teams. If you're missing one of these three elements, you're not likely to get a very effective dust hazard analysis complete. I sort of walked through some of these examples last week, but you know, if you know the industry and you know combustible dust, but you don't know how to do a DHA and you just try to do one, you know, chances are you're not going to get everything that needs to be done. Similarly, if you, you know, you know the industry and you know you've read a book on how to do DHAs, but you don't understand combustible dust hazards, you're also likely not going to get a very effective dust hazard analysis completed at the end of the day. So this brings us into challenge number three. How do you hire a dust hazard analysis consultant? So we come up with a three-step process for this. The first is to, and they sort of map onto these three core components, but the first is to verify your back, verify the background knowledge and qualifications of the individual. So do this, you want to, you know, request a copy of their CV and their resume or their resume, request any certifications, qualifications, technical committees they're part of. What you're really trying to see here is, are they actively involved in combustible dust? And have they been for some period of time that you're comfortable with? Or, you know, were they in an adjacent industry and just moved into combustible dust once the DHA mandate came out? So you you really want to have somebody that's going to be knowledgeable, know the latest information that's available. There's a lot of things that are changing right now. NFPA 652 is actually changing and turning into a, a combined standard um, probably next year. There's a lot of issues with you know isolation devices, active versus passive systems. They need to be actively involved in combustible dust so they don't miss things when they're doing their hazard assessments and when they're doing their recommendations. Step two is to verify the industry-specific understanding and competency. So do this. The best way to do it is just ask them to tell you what projects they've worked on before. What companies have they worked with that are like yours? If they never worked in a 3D printing with nanotitanium facility, they've only worked on you know grain mills, then you might want to look at that and go, well, maybe they're not right for, for our DHA provider. Likewise, if they're only focused on metals, maybe they're you know not the right provider for wood pellet industry. So you want to verify that they have specific understanding and competency in the industries that you're working in. And then step three is to verify their experience in performing DHAs and leading DHAs teams. A great way to do this is to ask for an example or a sample dust hazard analysis. A couple of years ago, this was sort of frowned upon or you know didn't get a very positive response. But today, the good providers, the reputable providers, have this information available and ready for when those questions are asked. Ask for references on previous projects. You want to call and follow up with those references. Ask how it went. Was there support period provided? How was the support? How were the recommendations? Were they usable at the end of the day? Could they be understood by the team? Were they explained thoroughly to the team? And were they something that could actually be implemented or were they recommendations that you know, were, were very high level and loose and something that required a lot more work to think about moving forward? Another key here is something you can do is ask for performance-based design experience. This will give you an idea of what they know in terms of prescriptive requirements, but also their experience in, in you know, designing other types of solutions that fall outside prescriptive requirements and have an understanding if they're going to be able to do that at your facility depending on what your needs are going to be. So those are the three steps. Verify the background knowledge and qualifications. Verify the industry-specific understanding and competency. And verify the experience performing DHAs and leading DHA teams in the past. And there's sort of a final step here, which is I just talked about in the last challenge. We want to verify what will be in the dust hazard analysis. Will they include risk ranking and or an implementation plan? Will they pr- include a support period for that implementation plan? 
Will they, you know, include management system review and recommendations? Will they include hazard area classification? Will they, you know, make recommendations that explosion protection design documentation need to be completed? Or will they actually do that um, analysis themselves? These are all things you want to understand about your provider. Do they have the capability to do that in-house? Um, and is it going to be included in the price of the DHA that you're doing today? Uh, this will give you a very a much fairer way to compare across one quote to another quote for a DHA provider. So that's challenge number three, how to hire a DHA consultant. The, the final challenge is how to complete a DHA yourself. So there's a couple of cases where you might want to do this. Maybe you have multiple facilities and you want to train up one of your staff to be able to complete dust hazard analysis at multiple facilities. Maybe you have a lot of change operations or you're always adding on new sections or new equipment in your facility. You want to be able to revisit and uh, reassess those dust hazard analysis on a more frequent period. Then these are all cases where you might want to train one of your employees up to do dust hazard analysis themselves. Sort of big word of caution here. If you're only doing one facility and it's just this one facility that you need done, it's going to take more time and be more expensive to train one of your staff to be a qualified person and do a proper dust hazard analysis. There are very limited circumstances where it's going to be less expensive to train somebody up rather than hire an external consultant to do this type of thing. Again, if you have multiple facilities, you have multiple reasons to do more frequent analysis, you just want someone on staff that has a better understanding of combustible dust hazards, then you know, go ahead and take the time to train up your staff to be able to do this sort of thing. So again, we have a three-step process then uh, for how to complete a DHA yourself. First step is identify your gaps in knowledge and competencies. So looking back to the three sort of core companies of a qualified person that we use, broad knowledge and understanding of combustible dust, specific understanding of the industry process and system under review, and demonstrable experience performing DHAs and leading DHA teams. So sort of evaluate what, where's the gap? If you have you know, a lot of combustible dust knowledge and you also know your industry very well, they've, they've worked at your facility for a decade and I've been involved in, you know, an NPA committee or something like that, then maybe all they need is understanding on how to do a DHA. And, and there are courses that are available, trainings that are available for the mechanics of actually completing a dust hazard analysis. On the other side, if they have, you know, if they've done a DHA course, they also know the facility, but their, their understanding is in combustible dust, then there are courses that are available. And NPA just released a three-part training on combustible dust, an online training series, that might be a good thing there. Dust hazard, the Dust Safety Academy certainly has many, many, many trainings to get those fundamentals of combustible dust down. Once you identify that gap, you can start to fill that gap. Maybe you brought somebody new in, they know combustible dust, they know how to do DHAs, but they're not very familiar with your facility. Then maybe you want to send them around and have them work at different plants or different parts of your facility or different regions that you have facilities in to get experience in that industry, see what equipment's being used, um, talk to the floor managers and get an idea about that industry-specific experience. That's the gap that they need to fill. They've been brought on with the combustible dust knowledge and the DHA knowledge. There's no reason they can't go get that industry-specific understanding and competency by working through different areas of your facility um, to be uh, competent in how that machinery operates and what type of materials are involved. So that's step one, identify your gap, the gaps in knowledge and competencies. Step two is to gain experience in performing DHAs and or leading DHA teams. So again, if you know combustible dust, you know the industry, that's still not really enough. You need some verifiable experience to perform DHAs in our opinion. Some ways you can do this is be part of a DHA team. So a team that somebody else leads. Shadow a consultant who does an initial DHA at your facility and sort of learn the ropes. 
You can also get third-party review of your DHAs. Uh, many of the dust safety professional consultants that we work with will provide this as a service now. They'll train up your staff. They'll have them be part of the DHA team. They'll shadow them while they do their first or second or third DHAs um, and sort of third-party audit your work until they're comfortable and say, yeah, this person knows what he's doing. That's a, a really great way to train somebody up internally to do a dust hazard analysis have that experience to be able to do DHAs at your facilities. This is the process that consultants use to train up their people. Like you don't bring somebody fresh, you know, into a consulting role and say, okay, go do a DHA. You know, they, they, they shadow somebody else that's experienced and has been done a lot of these. Then they write the report and have that person review it. Um, and only when they've demonstrated that they can write an effective dust hazard analysis, do the consultants let them go and do it on their own. So this is the same process that they would use. It's the same process that you would use internally to train up your staff as well. And the third step is to be aware of the risks in performing a DHA internally. So there's a lot of things that will come up here. You have time pressure. You know, we need to get this done. We have money pressure. There's things like recency bias. So, you know, if you only had one large explosion in the last 10 years, you'd be very tempted to tend to see downplay the risk. It can be very hard to be impartial if you're internal to the company. Um, and you may not have many, you know, much experience with other systems or facilities or industries. It's really important to bring that knowledge. That's why, you know, an insurance auditor or a consultant or a government um, auditor might be able to bring a lot more knowledge to your site because they've seen a lot of sites like yours and, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly and how it's been implemented. They might be able to make a, a much better recommendation on how to make change at your facility. So all those things sort of get alleviated, you know, time pressure, money pressure, um, internal uh inability to be impartial. If you use an external consultant, somebody who's not um, inside the company, these all come into play and are things to be aware of if you're completing a DHA yourself. So that's it for these four challenges in the application of NFPA 652 that we see quite a bit through running the Dust Safety Professionals platform. And this was part of a presentation that we gave for NFPA at their annual conference series. This year was online in October. They covered keeping hazardous environments safe where they, they cover combustible dust. They want to both sort of the nuts and bolts about compliance, what's in NFPA 652, fundamentals of combustible dust, but also what are the questions and challenges that people have with implementing 652 at the end of the day. So we covered in the last three episodes, what is the problem? What is NFPA 652 and what's in there? Does NFPA 652 apply to me? What does the dust hazard analysis process look like? And we gave an example and who is a qualified person. And in this episode, we walk through four challenges. What is the first step? What is the scope of a DHA? What's included and what's not included? How to hire a DHA consultant and how to complete a DHA yourself? Just kind of as closeout, I will say that this has been interesting giving this presentation again, but in just audio format without the, the visual slides. If you want to get the whole presentation, you can do so if you go to nfpa.org. I'm sure you can find the conference series there. If you join the Dust Safety Academy, I will have just given this presentation I think about a week ago after this podcast episode comes out, but if you join Dust Safety Professionals, uh, that may still be available in there, or the the library has over 100 webinars in there now as part of the, the premium membership at Dust Safety Professionals. So you can capture that now. Last point, again, if you need somebody to help you with your dust safety program, whether it be equipment design, dust collection design, performing a DHA, getting materials tested, the best place to go is the Dust Safety Professionals. Put in a request there and, and myself and our team will get you going with a provider that is in your local area um, and sort of meets these requirements that we talked about today, but it's also really knowledgeable about combustible dust. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. 
Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing. The industry's handling combustible dust, making them safer with the work that you do every day. Thank you.